This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorn startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest-growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breaking Banks Europe, episode 97. I am your host, Ali Patterson. Uh, this is actually my first time hosting Breaking Banks, which is utterly insane because I, I, I remember for the original Breaking Banks uh, with Brett, I remember the first time I ever met Brett King, I was literally listening to it at Cybos after having kind of blitzed through a bunch of the episodes. And then I literally turned around the corner and there was Brett and I had him in my ear and him in front of me as well. And I was completely, uh, yeah, w- weirdly starstruck and probably uh, made, a bit, made a bit of a titter myself. But now it's, it's kind of nuts. I'm here hosting episode 97 of Breaking Banks Europe. We have got a hell of a panel today because it has been an amazing week of news and all sorts of stuff happening. Um, first of all, we have got Ron Del Nevo. Ron, how are you doing today? For those that are listening, you can't, Ron's, Ron's got a background full of cash. So t- tell us a, bit, a wee bit about yourself, Ron. Well, I've been in financial services for about uh, 25 years, certainly in the cash business. I started an ATM operator. I've been a director of the UK Payments Council. I've been on all the committees at the Link ATM Network. And I'm now a, a consultant uh, offering my services to to whoever will pay enough to get me out of bed in the morning. So that's where I am. Excellent, excellent. We also have award-winning journalist, uh, Hannah Duncan from HD Investment Content. How are you? you? Tell us about yourself, Hannah. Who who are you? Hi. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Um, So my name is Hannah. I'm a fintech writer, journalist as well. Um, Yeah, and commentator and blogger. And that's me, really. So I just write about fintech for fintech and get as involved as I can. Uh, very excited to be here and looking forward to breaking some banks. Excellent. And on the subject of well, breaking banks in the news this week, uh, we have Eleanor. Eleanor, how are you doing? Tell us a little bit about yourself. What, what's, what's the company that you're working for at the moment? Uh, I'm, I'm doing fine, thanks. Um, I'm the risk director for Curve Credit, which is the, the credit arm of Curve. And Curve itself is an application that goes over the top of all of your financial products. As far as we can at the moment, we're moving to all of your financial products. But right now it's it's credit cards, loyalty cards, payment cards, anything that you're actually doing with a bank, really. Um, and uh, yeah, we've just launched our credit product within that. So that's what I'm doing. Amazing. We're going to talk about that straight away. Word of warning. I'm a massive fan of Curve. Um, I, that if I start like gushing over it, Ron and Hannah, you, you, you've, you've got to call me out on it. Like just as a, like, I've even got to hand a big old box of swag from the old investor pack and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have my curve cap on for the rest of the year. 
No, I don't even have one of those. I, you I'm don't? I'm quite jealous. No, I want one. I've, I've got the, uh, the the vintage uh, hoodie as well. Uh, oh, my so, God. Yeah. Listen, neither Han or I uh, accept such incentives. <laughs> it, it's a hell of a product. We'll leave you to gush on your own. <laughs> right. Well, let's um let's talk about one of the big stories this week. I love everything about this. Uh, the start of this week, uh, Monzo, uh, following this huge surge in buy now, pay later, uh, in a variety of different business models, uh, Monzo introduced Monzo Flex. A lot of graphics all at the ready. Fantastic. Good for them. About 20 minutes later, uh, Curve launched Curve Flex. Again, a lot of graphics. It, you could not have, have planned it any, uh, uh, which is incredible because I know that both, uh, both brands, both Monzo obviously had issues with Mondo and Curve with the, with, uh, with the ring as well have had. I mean, are, are we running out of names? But I don't know. You've got to, first of all, we've got to come to you first. Tell us about Curve Flex and what was announced this week and what's so cool about it. Oh, well, I'm, I'm super excited by it, even if no one else is. So it's, um, it's, it's basically a, a flexible credit product. So you can take out uh, a, a pay later um, loan over, over a set period of time. So three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, and maximum is 12 months at the moment. But basically you can swipe any transaction that you've already made with the Curve card and turn it into a loan. So rather than being buy now, pay later, and it's not buy now, pay later, I hasten to add, the idea is that you've got something that you've already bought that you think, damn, I wish I'd put that on credit. Or you think, oh, I could do with freeing up some cash within my um, my current account so that I don't go into my overdraft, for example. So you can just take something that you've bought before and say, I'll pay that off over six months. That'll be easier. And thus stretching your cash, ironing out bumps and so on. So how, how is, where's the, uh, where's the revenue from this? Because I know like Klarna, for example, is very much focused on, on the merchant side of things and they kind of, you know, say no to interest. What, what's the business model? Oh, no, we, we are charging interest on it, but it's considerably cheaper than the average credit card. And it's very much cheaper than an overdraft. Um, we also plan on having some, maybe some interest-free periods and, and um, you know, interest-free bonuses for, for people that behave well, that kind of thing. If it's not well, buy now, pay later... What would you call it then? Swipe now, pay later. <laughs> another acronym. We really so, need another acronym. Yeah, Snapple for short, <laughs> but we don't we don't want to do it with Snapple because that's a, a soft drink. But yeah, basically, because you're you're in the app if you've got the app, the Curve app, um, you can swipe those transactions. So you can see all your past transactions and which which card or which product they came out of. And you can decide that rather than having them on that product, you can move them to a different one. So say you can move things from your current account to your credit card if you want to, but equally you can move them onto a, a fixed term payment plan, which, um, which gives you your costs up front. You're not sort of being charged interest and having it mounting. You don't have a minimum payment like you would on a credit card. So you know when it's gonna be paid off, you know what it's costing you up front, and you just choose the, the time period that you wanna repay it over. Are you worried that you're going to have all the bad payers because your model's like buy before, pay later? Is there not a risk you're going to get the very worst people? Well, I mean, there is a risk that perhaps it might be seen as a sort of desperate choice, but I don't think so because the whole premise of, of Curve is, is about managing your money better, seeing it, being able to be flexible with it. It's... Um, 
it's it's not a it's not a subprime product. It's it's not for people who aren't credit worthy. And also, we're being extremely um, not cautious, but very sensible about who we lend to on this product. We already know our customers pretty well, and to be able to offer them something in the way of easy, flexible, visible credit is just part of the the offering that we want to show. It's it's part of the idea of putting all your finances in one place. Um, so no, I, I think buy now, pay later is far more dangerous because that's aimed at impulsive buying to an extent and paid for by merchants. We're not paid by merchants. We have no incentive to lend to people, especially if they can't afford it. We don't want to lend to people if they can't afford it because that's a bad experience. We want people to have a positive experience. Basically, we want people to borrow with us if they're going to borrow and we want it to be beautiful and we want it to be clear cut and visible and um, easily understood. So no, I, th I think it's, it's actually quite empowering rather than um, uh, a product of last resort. Ron, well, do you want to weigh in here? No, I'm, all for, I, I, I'm all for increasing choice, whether that being debt products or any other facet of financial services. I'm always arguing for payment choice so that we should be allowed to pay however we want to pay. I mean, the fact is that the British public have proved incredibly susceptible to credit products um, since the first credit card was launched in 1966-67. Um, we've seen a massive increase in uh, household and personal debt here in the UK. In 1980, uh, household debt was 30% of the uh, household income and we reached a high of 145%, you know, maybe five or six years ago. I think it's down to more slightly more manageable 120 percent or around 120 percent now but those figures compare with say germany where the figure is 80 percent so the british public are obviously receptive to such uh, products uh, because they're using them and all i want for the public is the best value possible and certainly when i hear that the value is better than say an overdraft um that's certainly good because the interest rate on overdrafts on average now arranged overdrafts is, I think, about 40%, 39-40%. And the average credit card, I don't know what you would say the average credit card interest rate was at the moment. Eleanor, what, would, what is the average credit card? Is it 15 20% now here in the UK or higher? It's, it's actually higher. It's about 21% now. 21%. So you're beating that. So if it saves the public money, that's great. I wouldn't want to see the public getting into any more date debt because quite frankly it's high enough and as for buy now pay later you know you can invent an acronym but actually it's not much different from what we used to call higher purchase which was actually invented in 1938 but modified a long time ago so that you didn't have to put much deposit down so you could get into more debt faster so actually when they shortly after they invented the new version of higher purchase in the 1950s it became known as the never, never, because you never paid for the product that you supposedly were buying. You never finished paying up because the interest rates and terms would change so much. So, you know, there's a history of such products in the UK and it's not a great history. So we want to improve on that. And if your product, uh, the curve products an improvement on that, great, fantastic, well done. I like a history textbook. You know, everything and the dates. <laughs> <laughs> That's why that never, never. Is that, that that's the Blood Brothers song as well, isn't it? Yes, it was, <laughs> and it was I'd, probably I'd... for that reason. <laughs> yeah, Incredible. I do know a lot, but then you can't be an expert without knowing a lot, or at least thinking you know a lot, <laughs> which is not quite the same thing. 
can I just weigh in uh, um, and do stop me if I get too excited? Right, so Curve Credit. Uh, the incredible thing about Curve is I always point it at my credit card that gets me loads of points. And then I, every you know couple of days, I go back in time, business purchase, non-business purchase here. But the best thing about it, I don't know if this is, if this is appropriate or not, is I can go back in time to my Starling card or I can change my Starling card to its US account and go back in time that and it only charges me the US dollars. So mm -hmm. I keep an eye on the exchange rate and I go, do you know what? If I, if I actually keep this as pounds, it's going to save me like X percent or actually I'm going to move back back as US dollars and save kind of money that way. Uh, it's, I, I absolutely love that about that. And one of the things I love as well is the risk has already happened if it's pointed at a credit card. If I do a purchase and it's already pointed at a credit card, you know that uh, a, la a large organization has already done a credit check to see if I'm okay with that, which lowers the risk from your end because anything you do on top of that is just extra. Yeah, plus we're not encouraging anyone to spend. They've already decided to spend. They've just decided to spend and then put it on credit if they want to. Um, I'm having a lovely time with it myself because I'm in France right now. And again, I'm, I'm going, I'll do that in euros. I'll do that in pounds. I'll switch that to my French account because I'm getting po bonus points. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm loving using it, which is, you know, I suppose I should love using it. But but then I'm, I'm not Curve, I'm Curve Credit. So, you know, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the, the app as I am with the credit product. Eleanor, if, if only Curve Credit could have done a deal for the Australian government on those submarines, uh, maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe the contract would still be in place. Well, if they'd oh. asked some of our negotiators, I'm sure they'd have done a better job. We have some good people on that. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, uh, can you uh, the last thing for us say just on, on this story um, is how let, let's let's talk. I know we've obviously got you on here. Let, I want to talk a little bit about Monzo. Mm -hmm. um, and if we keep talking about Caroline, I have to bring up Amex and uh, no <laughs> and, and negotiating there because we want Amex. Um, let's talk we a little bit about Monzo. Amex. Come on, Amex, look, it's make it happen. Yeah. Monzo Flex. How how does that differ? Because that does seem to be almost a different a different product entirely. Not just in terms of interest rate, but in terms of how it's kind of separated. What, what what's what's been some of the the setup here? So are you asking me? Yeah. Well, how how do you well, differ from uh, from Monzo Flex? Well, Mon Monzo Flex is is just a credit product. That's what it is. You can use it with with Monzo. It is it is a Monzo product. But as you can use with any card, that's the whole point. We've had Monzo customers using using curve for um well actually use using flex in the beta version for over a year now <laughs> so okay. monzo customers have already had flex <laughs> but, many, but they haven't, many, they haven't many, had monzo flex how many customers does curve have now if that's not oh confidential? gosh that's a really difficult question i, I think two yeah 1.2 in the uk but we're, we're in europe and actually we've just launched in the us as well we're launching in the us as we speak right. so um yeah so it's a it's about two million across europe Excellent. Um, but, well done. But it's growing it's growing fast i mean that's why i can't give you a precise number it keeps growing <laughs> and my understanding of the difference and like i might be wrong here is that they're like even though they have the same name they're actually very different products and yeah, there's definitely room for both of them right because monzo is more like it's better if you want short-term debt, like say less than three months, because then you don't have to pay interest and they rely more on merchant payments, a little bit like Afterpay or Clearpay in the UK, their structure. Whereas um, Curve is completely doing its own new thing, which I don't think has been done before, it like back-in-time payments. So I think that even though they have the same name and it's the same date, they're actually quite different things. And everywhere in that space, the buy now, pay later, even though you're not in that space officially, Things are like popping and fizzling. 
like Revolut is planning to launch as well. And I don't know if anyone noticed that um, Revolut Flex. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a novel <laughs> idea. <laughs> You know what? I kind of don't mind that. I think the fact that we've got the same name—it's like it's like being called Hoover, right? It just becomes a ubiquitous. This is a flexible credit product. Well, maybe you start a trend where financial services organisations are prepared to use the same name, because when the British major high street banks were bringing in their person-to-person uh, -person payment product uh, a few years ago, they could never agree on one name for it. So it was PM or it was Ping It and so on and so forth. So they'd have been better off just sticking to the one name and then everybody would have understood. So well done to you guys in unintentionally using the same name and please let it continue. Why not? Well, it's like credit it's card. Kind of yeah. Right. We need to move on to the next story now. Otherwise, uh, Renetta's going to slap me on the wrist. Um, Wait, Ali, can next... I quickly say the thing I wanted to say? Nope. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Have, um, I don't know if anyone noticed, but Afterpay, which is Clearpay in the UK, has recently teamed up with uh, Tanax, um, you know, Lady Glyptus, who we love, and Westpac, and they're definitely doing something. I don't know what, but it's definitely something. So I think that in this space, a lot of new things are going to start bubbling up now, and we're actually just on the surface and things are going to get really competitive that I think we're on the cusp of a new era. That's it. Why? Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, I, like I think it's exciting too. I also, I also do like that idea of Flex becoming like a credit card. But speaking of, of, new, of new cards, um, this week, or last week at the time where this is going out, has been the return of money 2020 in Europe. Um, and one of the hot topics that seem to have been on everyone's lips there is um, Chase Bank. So not only has uh, Chase uh, with uh, uh, Thought Machine uh, made a very large agreement to move some of the retail uh, divisions over there, which is one of the big announcements from the event, uh, JP Morgan Chase is also launching a UK digital challenger bank. Um, and I believe, and I'm, I'm going to refer to Ron for the dates, but Ron, how long has this been since JP Morgan have kind of made a, a, a play outside of the US? Well, never, actually. This is the first time they've taken a consumer brand outside the US in 222 years. And they actually have an international CEO, which must be a new appointment because they've never done any international work before. It's very brave. Well, it's very typical in one way because where do they come? Britain, because we more or less speak the same language. But um, and on the other hand, um, it's very brave because they're investing, according to the CEO, hundreds of millions of pounds before they hope to make a profit. They've just employed 500 new staff in London, which is one and I for the EU, which brings them up to 600 staff. So they're obviously intent on um, making a success of this, or at least they're hoping to make a success of this. But it's very interesting, actually, that this is the time they've chosen to do it because, um, you know, is it a little bit of desperation about how much, you know, additional profit they could ever squeeze out of the US market? Do they feel they have to be somewhere else because the US market is so difficult? Um, it's hard to understand why they've chosen to do this now, other than, you know, as, as part of the same publicity, there was the story that the mainstream banks are losing lots of customers to the likes of Starling and Revolut and Monzo and so on. And obviously they may want to fight back, but um, it's a huge investment. It's, it's, to my um, mind, not certain, not certain to work, of course, but 
Um, very brave of them to try it after 222 years of staying at home. Well, this is what fascinated me about it, just to read from the press release. Uh, it's launching as part of this a rewards program offering 1% cash back on all eligible debit card spending for 12 months. Um, so I spend £100 on something, get a pound back. Fantastic. That, they're, they're definitely going quite, um, quite aggressive. Uh, what I kind of wanted to put out there is what's the... Um, What's the end goal? Because they're clearly going after the kind of neobank digital challenger uh, market. But what's mm. the end goal here? Because it, because it, it doesn't seem that current accounts are perhaps the most profitable. So maybe this is kind of laying the ground for something something bigger. What are we thinking of some of the end goal is? Uh, Hannah? I have a theory about this, okay? So all the big, big banks who have their legacy technology, it was like some of it was literally made in the 1960s, right? But most of it is this like, patchwork, spaghetti code, hunk of mess. And how the hell can they work with that? And how can they compete? So what they do is they start creating a brand new operating system, which is what Mox did, right? And then they work on it, they work on it, and then they trial it with people. And then when they realize it works, then that becomes their new technology. And then they move their whole bank over to their whole new operating system. It's not about making profit, it's just about surviving. What do you think? Let me get my tinfoil be. hat on. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly legacy systems. I right. mean, for as long as I've been in financial services, the banks have been complaining themselves about the legacy systems that they have. So this is a, a major step in the direction of curing that problem. So you may well be right, Hannah. You may well be right. I, I think it's a very astute um, observation. I, I think there is exactly that going on, and and I think it's it's a, it's an inevitable step anyway. In that they almost have to start distancing themselves from their from their own branding as well, because it's getting so shonky in the background that you almost have to start again. Um, I mean, there was a classic. Uh, melding of two banks i can't remember when it was and i can't i shan't mention who but they actually chose to go with their shonkier system their older um technology because they couldn't upgrade from that to the better half which was the other bank um and and that was a deliberate decision but it, it's really shot them in the foot and we've, we've seen the results of that i'm sure you can guess who i'm talking about well wild horses wouldn't get me to talk about specific <laughs> I do remember when Lloyds joined up with Bank of Scotland, going into a Bank of Scotland branch and suggesting as a Lloyds customer, I might like to do a transaction and be being given a flea in my ear and told that wasn't possible there, even though they were, you know, the Lloyds banking group. So uh, there we are. That may be another uh, group uh, rather than the ones you were referring to, Eleanor. Oh, so I was going to say the speedboat approach seems to be doing quite well. Um, earlier, or the end of last week, uh, the CEO of Mox is actually, uh, um, he, he's stepping down and they've got uh, an ex-ING guy coming in. Um, so it does seem that Mox is almost kind of building up. But on the, on the flip side of, of having these speedboat banks where they kind of put everything onto it, might be what Chase is doing there. For every Mox, which is a phenomenal success, or New 10 by ABN AMRO, again, phenomenal su uh, success in the SME space. I can't see it happening. I would love it, love it to happen, but too many of these banks are, are living, I'm going to sound cynical, but too many of these big banks are living quarter by quarter. Uh, and it's more about keeping the bank running as opposed to actually making substantial change. And you could have the likes of Bow and Metal, which are kind of a good sort of foot in the market to see if this will work or Fin. 
uh, over in America, and they, well, Bo and Finn have kind of sort of fallen to the wayside. Um, I, it doesn't seem to, there doesn't seem to be that long-term vision to actually want to achieve that, despite it being quite clearly a very sensible thing to do. Uh, Hannah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think that uh, JP Morgan, this is a whole separate point. I think JP Morgan Chase as well, they have a terrible reputation at the moment because they are the worst bank in the entire world for fossil fuels by more than 33%. And anything they can do to draw attention away from their name and to show that they're a bit more edgy and a bit more forward thinking would be really, really strong marketing. And anything they can do to make people like them is probably worth it. <laughs> multi-million dollars that they're going to lose with this right so i think it's all just about surviving covering up covering their asses really that's my opinion well that's an interesting i thought because they're not actually doing it in america they're doing it here so basically they're not actually risking it i mean going on what you're saying they haven't got much to risk Anna, but they're not risking uh, their American business, they're going to trial it over here. And then if it flops, you can just blame the British market for being the victim of Brexit and an economic downturn and whatever. You know, there are a host of good excuses that can be come up with. Come up with. So, yeah, so it's low risk in the, from that point of view. Because, you know, in America, a lot of the banks are still opening bank branches. They're still talking about the importance of bricks and mortar and so on. And maybe they don't believe it would even, you know, have a residence over there by comparison to here. So there's all sorts of good reasons for not doing it at home. And why mess up your own doorstep when you can move it overseas, you know? So, but I, I do think any investment is, is good, you know, in the financial services sector, because obviously many of the main high street banks are strapped for, for money at the moment and investment is difficult to come by, which actually, if you want to talk very briefly about innovation, one of the, ideas that I've come up with, which I'm now proposing to the UK government, in fact, I wrote to Boris just the other day, is that we take advantage of the fact that um, the national lottery contract is up for renewal, uh, the new contracts granted from uh, 2024, to actually start moving that away from purely terminals which deliver lottery tickets. Instead of that, those 45,000 brand new terminals, and they have to be brand new terminals in 2024, could actually be financial services touch points in communities around the UK. And the, and the great thing is you're not asking the banks to spend that money because they haven't got it or don't want to spend it. You're not asking the government to do it. It can be done under the auspices of a very successful venture, which is called the National Lottery. The National Lottery turns over eight billion pounds a year. And it's an ideal way of getting it to give even more public service. Obviously, a lot of lottery revenue goes into charitable works and you know, things like sponsoring the Olympic team. But this would be another way the lottery would have of helping the British public. And it's a unique opportunity because who else is going to buy 45,000 new terminals in the next couple of years? So I think it's a great opportunity. The company I'm working for at the moment, Synect, which is a Swiss fintech, we've suggested that. Uh, we're talking to the Treasury about it. We're talking to Camelot, the current operators. But I think this is the kind of innovation we need to see. And we have to look for new ways of funding innovations like this. You know, just asking the high street banks to put their hands in their pockets isn't going to work any longer because they haven't got very deep pockets, quite frankly. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, actually, I do like that. That's, um, I love those kind of business models where you can find revenue outside of the normal way. We've got to take a quick break now. Um, here's a message from our sponsors. 
The FTS Fest is back. As 2021 develops, it will become more and more apparent how this year can truly mark the start of a second fintech revolution. Starting with a focus on sustainability, financial inclusion and impact investing, topics that today must be considered transversely. We'll explore trends that are already shaking up the industry, such as embedded and decentralized finance spotting. Be part of the Fintech Revolution 2.0. Join FTSFest.com. Hi everyone and welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. We are going to go straight into the next story. And this is one of those stories that actually it's kind of kind of important but kind of got swept a little bit to the main uh, out to the side um which is over in israel um bank of israel has introduced rapid switching between their banks not dissimilar to in the uk the current account uh, switching service um and it, it just gave me pause to kind of have a little look into the uk's uh switching service because it although i personally have got far too many bank accounts and a lot of them are well, partly to try and get the record on curve empty. for the number of, of cards, <laughs> um, but also, yeah, they're empty. They're, zo they're zombie accounts. I, I haven't actually closed them, but the current account switching service, I suppose, is a good a good indicator as to who's as to which way the land's going. And I know recently we've seen the likes of you know Starling and Monzo ever increasing their market share, um, and uh, as well as then some of the the more traditional banks perhaps losing some of their market share. But it's, it's a good indicator into which way the wind is turning. Um, but I just want to kind of get everyone's opinion on the actual switching service itself. Um, can I go to yourself first, uh, Eleanor, in terms of the, in the UK and what, the, and what this might mean to uh, for Israel? Well, I mean, I, I think it was a huge leap forward. There, there were a lot of people who were, you know, reticent to change bank accounts, not because they didn't want to. They might have been very hacked off with where they were and, and desperate to leave, but just were afraid that their direct debits wouldn't go out on time, afraid that they'd be somehow penalised by not having a length of service with a particular bank, you know, that that kind of thing. And the, and the fact that you can just switch so easily and it is kind of guaranteed makes enormous difference to those people in terms of their confidence in doing that. Um, so I hope the same will happen for Israel. I hope people will feel that freedom and do what they need to do. I mean, the important thing, of course, is that there is some some benefit in, in choosing to shift. But I mean, I, I can't comment on that since I don't live there. Well, Ali, I was a director at the UK Payments Council when uh, they moved towards faster shifting to place. And it has to be said that the banks dragged their feet for years on this one, because basically they didn't want people to switch their accounts, did they? They wanted the status quo. Having said that, that's what financial services organizations have tended to do. Building societies in the UK wanted people to have passbooks long after banks did away with passbooks because they basically thought with passbooks, the public wouldn't take much of their money out because it was too inconvenient. Um, so there's been a kind of temptation to, you know, play the status quo game. Let's keep everybody tied in. And, and it was a great move to make it easier. And as Ellen has referred to, the, the fact that you can be certain now or almost certain that all your payments will still be fine if you switch accounts is great. But the fact is still it's a relatively small percentage of people are switching their accounts. So I think there needs to be even more encouragement on this because it doesn't actually... Um, help the public to stay with the same provider because nearly always if you stay with the same provider you get worse deals than if you move and you know essentially you're kind of taking advantage 
of because you've been a good customer for many years. And, and that's wrong. The, the, the people who've been good customers for many years should be treated the best, but they're not. They're often treated the worst, and that can't be right. Uh, Hannah? Um, well, for me, I think it's just this really, really exciting step forward. Because when you start facilitating the switching of bank accounts, then the question of open banking and then open finance comes up, right? And then everybody is creating or trying to create, the race is on, to create this one-stop shop of everything you need in one convenient place, right? Like her, where you can get everything you need. So like pensions, investments, insurance, current accounts, saving accounts, like literally everything to do with money you could ever want in one place and soon you'll just be able to say like Alexa invest in something I want or just it, things will become <laughs> so easy do you know what I mean like everything is just going to start moving really quickly around the world and some banks are going to lose out and some are going to do really well and it starts with these like simple things like being able to switch your account easily so I think it's like crazy exciting for everyone except the people who are going to lose out I think that's fine, Hannah. I think, you know, where there are things like, and I know you understand this, but where there are things like pensions, you know, that everybody still needs advice. So, you know, I don't think we're going to be saying to Alexa, switch my pension anytime soon. But yeah, in principle, absolutely right. But in practice, we just need to watch about the quality of advice that people are getting on various elements of that, because, you know, using old language there are there have typically been cowboys who have got involved where they see they can take advantage of the public by telling them it's all becoming much simpler but simpler just means can mean that the, the, the money goes into the pockets of those cowboys but yeah I mean I, I think that one-stop shops are great and as long as we have adequate protection for the public uh, in terms of the advice being offered by those one-stop shops that should work in everybody's favor yeah I think the products are, so like if you combine open finance with algorithms, I think the products are only probably going to get more personal. The more like you take human interest out of it and human errors out of it, of course there are going to be some casualties, but overwhelmingly I think that this facilitates a whole new world of much more personal and better suited finance for what we have before. So I think it could go in your direction of cowboy finance, but it could also be a much better thing for everybody. Yeah. Well, I think when think you've got, I think when you've got innovation, you know, for years I've been hearing about innovations. You know, my mobile phone is stuffed with apps. You know, I haven't got Curve, but I've got Monzo and I've got Starling and I've got all the rest of it. And 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 I so sent you my so referral forth. code. Yeah, thank you very much. For that. <laughs> <laughs> How much do you get for that? Anyway, um, the 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 fact is though that sometimes the financial service industry has pretended that there's been a change and it hasn't actually been a real change so i take the example of india uh, the target was set of you know having x number 100 million bank accounts in india and that was portrayed as you know bringing about financial inclusion and 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 you could really applaud the fact that all these people have bank accounts but then when they did an analysis a couple of years later they found that 300 or 400 of those million, million of those bank accounts weren't being used and had never been used for any transaction. And so, you know, the financial services industry was blowing trumpets. Oh, look, the great job we've done. We've got all these accounts, but nobody was using them. So I think the important thing is that it's of use, that the public, whether it be here in Europe or it's uh, around the planet, they actually use these innovations, pretend innovation to make us feel better about, for example, financial inclusion 
isn't good for anybody. But, you know, in principle, great. Let's push on with innovations, but let's make them more inclusive and let's measure inclusion in the right way. You know, not nominal inclusion, but proper inclusion where everybody is really part of the system, you know. Well, I think, sorry, I think part of the deal with being able to, to switch banks isn't necessarily that lots and lots of people now switch banks. It's, it's the knowledge that you can yeah. and, and the knowledge of the bank that you can. So therefore, you know, there, there, is, there is that leverage to say, well, you know, you're treating me badly here. Maybe I'll switch. But there's also the knowledge that the bank doesn't really want you to get to that point where you're threatening to leave. But so the, the, the customer service and the, the thought towards what would suit the customer best does naturally start to, to veer back towards customer centricity, which, which can't be a bad thing, even if no one switches banks. I, I, think, I think to be thinking about what best suits your customer rather than what's easy for you, what technology suits you is, is always a positive thing. And weirdly enough, not just for the customer. It's actually a good thing for, for any financial service organization to do as well, because if you don't think about that, you're going to fall behind anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So it's positive for it, everybody. It, it's interesting you mentioned, uh, you know, we talk, we're talking about banks and bank accounts and so on. And the, the FCA has come up with a campaign. They want people to have less money in their bank accounts. We <laughs> think that 1.7 million people in the UK have 10,000 pounds or more sitting in a bank account and the FCA doesn't like that. It wants them to invest that money in the stock market or in any other way they want, but it doesn't want it to be kept in these bank accounts. Well, you know, firstly, um, let's just say that those 1.7 million people are very lucky because 25% of the UK adult population, which is about 13 million people, have savings of only... 500 pounds so they're not going to be listening to the fca about taking the money out of their accounts because they don't have money in their accounts but also you know these 1.7 million people um have exercised a choice and they're choosing to keep money on those accounts now obviously you can say or you might think that they must be ill-informed because there must be a better way of you know using their money but if that's a choice that they choose to make yeah i think they should be free to to make that choice and of course, the sort of Damocles that hangs over all our heads in the UK is, I reckon that this FCA campaign, which is meant to run until for a couple of years, is a kind of precursor potentially to the introduction of negative interest rates. So I think if the FCA campaign doesn't work and 1.7 million people still have £10,000 or more in their bank accounts in 2023 or 2024, then the Bank of England working with the government might bring in negative interest rates to kind of force people to uh, use that money uh, for investment rather than sitting on bank accounts. But of course, Ali and I, being old conservatives, may not choose to invest that money. We, we may just put it under our beds or mm -hmm. under our floorboards. So, you know, I do think we should be careful about forcing choices on the public. As I said earlier, I'm always arguing for payment choice. And you know, great, the FCA wants to run a campaign to get people to invest, but if those people decide to keep their money in their bank accounts, they should be allowed to do so and not punished by the introduction of negative interest rates. Well, 
And, and we mustn't forget that those money with those with money in their bank accounts are effectively investing because they're enabling banks to then relend that money. That, Absolutely. That, you know, there, there's no non-investment by keeping something in a bank account. The fact that you don't get any interest on it and maybe it's not the best way to serve your own your own interests, if you'll pardon the double use of the word, um, is an irrelevance. They're actually helping the economy survive by keeping that money where they are because the money is actually still going around whether they see it go around or not. And they're getting hit by inflation, poor people, because cash mm. is kind of going backwards now. So so their cash will go backwards twice as fast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's painful, but, but if that's but what that, But that's do. their choice, and I don't think anybody no. who has £10,000 in a bank account is unaware of the interest rate, which is usually approaching zero at the moment. So I don't think it's a lack of knowledge. It's, it's choice. Now, of course, the FCA or the government may not like that choice, but, you know... If you, if you earn money and you have it in a bank account, I don't think there should be too much interference as to whether you can should have it in that bank account or not. And as you say, Elmer, you know, using the fractional deposit system, you know, 10,000 pounds can probably generate 200,000 pounds or more exactly. of, of, of uh, loans, which are investments in, in, in developing whatever people choose to develop. You know, let's, let's let the public choose. Let's stop treating the public as we tended, we have tended to do during this pandemic. Let's stop cheat, treating us always if we're school children. You know, we're, we're not. If people have made a conscious decision to go one way, that's their choice. Let them go that way. It's not harming anybody else but themselves. If it's harming even themselves, that's their choice to make, you know. Well, and that's what well your organisation is doing, Eleanor. You, you're giving people more choice, aren't you? So that's what we're trying to do, great. yeah. Yeah, which is great. Excellent. Just the, the last thing I wanted just to throw in, just to bring it back to the switching accounts. Um, I asked Anne Bowden about uh, uh, from Starling what she would do if uh, Starling acquired uh, HSBC. Uh, and she simply said that, oh, it's very simple. Wrong. We would uh, use the uh, current account switching service to move all the customers onto Starling and, uh, uh, and leave the rest, <laughs> which I absolutely ad adore that that's their approach there. Um, guys, we're running out of time there, but thank you all so much for taking the time to join us uh, on you, some Alan. of the news. Um, I'm sure there's going to be all sorts of other bits and bobs coming out uh, from, uh, again, the likes of Money 2020 this week, where Matteo has been on the ground, zooming around, seeing lots of people. Um, right, Ron, where, 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 best, where best to find you? Where best to find out more about yourself? Oh, uh, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. What, what's your TikTok, though? Hmm? What's your TikTok channel, though? Oh, I don't do TikTok because it's controlled by the Chinese government, I'm afraid. I, I, I have a thing Lord. about Chinese government <laughs> control, but that could be a whole new programme, so I'm not going to uh, get involved in that at the moment. No, I'll stick to uh, our, our, our Western-controlled channels, frankly. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Hannah, where best to find out more about, you, about yourself? Either LinkedIn as well, or if you want to read my blog, um, then just type Hannah's blog not very creative name into google and it should be the first one especially if you type it congrats on the seo on that call Thank your you. blog flex anna <laughs> <laughs> uh and elena what, what, where best to find out more about yourself curve and of course uh, curve flex well, go ahead to the, the Curve website, but if you want to know more about me, I'm an elusive devil. I'm living in a, a, a four-story medieval tower in France. Try and find me. <laughs> <laughs> that challenge laid down to everyone, so there, there we go. My drone is on its way. <laughs> and Ali, where yeah, can the Curve website, find you? Uh, 
oh, I'm going to be hold up up here. I've got a two week old, so I'm going to be not zooming about as much as uh, uh, at, at the moment. But I'm at Ali Patterson uh, everywhere. Um, but of course, this is Breaking Banks uh, uh, Europe. Uh, so thank you so much, the Breaking Banks team, for having me host this for the first time. Uh, and we will we will see you all very soon. Thank Cheery. you very much. Nice to meet you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoker Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.